0: Alright, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fucksters? What the fuckaristas? What the fuckstables? Alright, that's fucking enough. Sorry, kids. Sorry, parents. That's a lot of fucks in the first five or ten seconds of this show. It's full fucking on. I apologize. It's Mark Marin This is WTF. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy my show. What have I got to tell you right out of the gate? Well, if you listen to that pre-show announcement, I think we answered everyone's questions. For those dates where i hit at those amphitheaters where some of you thought I was playing myself, flattered, as I said, but not true. Uh, it seems that the tickets for the Oddball Comedy and Curiosity Festival, uh, of which I will be part of on some of those dates, go on sale Saturday at LiveNation.com. So those would be the ones I'm on. Those would be the ones in Tampa and uh, all those other ones. Why, Why don't you have your website up, man? Maybe that'd be helpful for people to listen to you, say the things that you want them to go see and maybe be part of if you had the dates in front of you. Don't talk to me like that. Don't sass me. I'm just trying to help. Who the fuck are you? I'm you, asshole. All right, this has been fun. We should be a comedy team. All right, well, let's go to the calendar. Let's go to the calendar now. Tonight. I am in Bloomington, Indiana at the Comedy Attic. Tomorrow I'll be there too, and Saturday. And then the oddball dates are Tampa, Florida, Charlotte, North Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia. Then I'm back in Charlotte at the Comedy Zone. And then I'm at Red Rocks in Denver for the oddball. Uh, I'll be at Mountain View, California, Irvine, Dallas, Houston, and Austin. So those all go on sale Saturday. That's my understanding at LiveNation.com. Glad we settled that. All right, today on the show, from the new film, now, I don't say that too often, but you know him from a lot of things. But he is in uh, Think Like a Man 2. Uh, Romney Malco, maybe some of you know him from Think Like a Man, the first one, or some of you know him from 40-Year-Old Virgin. That's where I know him from. I ran into him on a plane, and I was like, you're that guy. He's like, holy shit, I love your show. And I'm like, you're on it. Let's do it. He's on the show today. And I'll tell you, man, I didn't know what to expect, but it was full on. It was a full-on conversation about a lot of shit. I learned a lot about rap music that I didn't know I was going to learn. We learned a little bit about politics, a little bit about uh, the uh, the black man in politics. According to Romney Malco, we learned uh, what else did we learn? We learned about acting. We learned about fishing. We learned about Trinidad. We learned about the Marines. I don't even I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything. I feel like I've spoiled a lot already. Great guy. Great talk coming up around the bend. That was a really out of tune um, opening riff to Up Around the Bend by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Thank you. Thank you to those who were able to identify that. I appreciate that. Another thing I wanted to mention is that my buddy Bill Sheft, he's a writer and he was the—he uh, was a writer on Letterman for like 25 years. He used to do... Uh, you know, there's an interesting story about Sheft, and you'll hear that story on a future uh, WTF, but he's got a book that's dropping this week it's called shrink thyself it's a novel about getting rid of psychotherapy and living the unexamined life you can get that at amazon.com you can get that now that's bill chef's book and he will be on wtf soon that was a great conversation i'm trying to figure out whether or not i'm, I'm close enough to you guys to tell you this thing about my dick I mean, I, and you know because i'm not that kind of guy you know i don't you know I, I that's not really true i mean i've shared things about my dick before but not so specifically let me let me think about it Right now, I'd like to share with you uh, a little something because I, I, I'm, I'm telling you what I'm, gonna, I'm telling you what I'm doing right now. I'm breaking in a new pair of pants, and I know some of you who follow me know that that's a big deal, breaking in some pants. And you're like, what kind of pants, Mark? Well, they're black jeans, classic black selvage jeans. Where'd you get those? Are those Emma Jean Willies? No, you know why? They're not because um, the pocket on the ass of my Emma Willies went out. You know, it blew out. I blew out the pocket from driving too hard on my walking and sitting on stools. From sitting on stools with my wallet in my back pocket, this is a stand-up-related wear and tear of my ass pocket and my jeans. My wallet kept falling out. Fell out on stage in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. It was incredibly distracting to a good deal of the audience. I lost about 10 minutes of good material because people were wondering when I would notice my wallet was on the floor. Can't have that happen. That's a professional liability to have a uh, an ass pocket blowout where your wallet can fall out, and and just capture the imaginations of an entire audience of adults. Can't have that happen too often. So I call Imogene and Willie. I email them. I say, "What's up? You know, you guys are a special pant. You made these pants. What do you got? What do I got to do to get uh, the blowout in my ass pocket fixed?" They said, "Send them out here. Wash them first, please. Don't don't sell us your st- stinky ball jeans. Wash them." And uh, and we'll fix it in three three to four weeks. I went three to four weeks. I need to get this ass back up on a stool before then. <laughs> you can't have my pants up on the lift for that long. How long does it take to fix an ass pocket? So I decided to poke around the internet and I found, I look, I look up uh, Denim Repair Los Angeles. I figured there's got to be some specialty operation. And sure enough, I come up with this place called Schaefer's Garment Hotel. And I'm like, what up with that? Got some good Yelp reviews. This guy seems like a denim genius. So I go over there, and I show him the uh, the blowout in my ass pocket on the MG and Willys. We talk salvage for a little while, and then I talk about, about Billy Gibbons, and I turn him on to my show. This cat's a good cat. I think his name's Robert. And he says, yeah, I can fix that blowout in your ass pocket probably inside 10 days. It's going to cost a little bit. How much could it cost? I don't buy much, folks. Let me get my ass pocket blowout fixed for for what seems to be an exorbitant amount of money. Some of you are like, I would have sewn it myself. Yeah, but this guy's a specialist. God, give it to the doctors. You know, if you got a problem, go to a specialist. So I gave it to Robert over there at Schaefer's Garment Hotel. Turns out he's making his own pants over there. He's got some selfish denim jeans, classic style. He's got some uh, indigo denim. He's got some classic black denim, heavyweight black denim. And I'm like, holy fuck, look at those. I haven't seen those in a while. He's like, yeah, we make them right here. I get that denim from Japan. Feel it. I'm feeling it. Hell yeah. Bring it. Let's get some of them pants. I didn't know you were making pants over here, Robert. He's like, yeah, man, we make real pants. And he's got a guy that makes hats over there. He's got a couple of dogs that hang out and some guitars. How does all of a sudden the image that I've been sort of doing, you know, without knowing anything, has a whole store for it? I'm not a hat guy, but I'm a guitar guy, not a dog guy. But I can appreciate a dog in a store, especially one that sells denim and boots and shit. But I don't buy them like, you know, broken. And these are fresh denims. They're stiff and I'm in them right now. And I'm waiting for my ass pocket blowout to be fixed. So I'm going, I'm going out of town. I'll be at Bloomington showcasing my unbroken in black denim pants. Did I? I set up the dick thing. I should probably go into the dick thing. Is that okay, kids? Step out. So you know, I had this woman over, and I had minor tragedy in the bathroom, and it was a, it was a it was a, it was a tough call what to do. But it was okay. I have never had the type of STD that would create a sore on your schlong, on your junk, as the kids say. Never had a sore on my junk, okay? I never got that dirty or stuck my my thing into the wrong place. So here's what I'm doing. All right, this, I don't this know. This bathroom humor, literally, if it's even humor, it's just a story. That I don't even know why I feel compelled to share it with you, but I seem to be in it. I seem to be doing it. Okay, all right. This is embarrassing, but why is that? It's never stopped me before. So I got this girl over, and I don't know her that well, and she's younger than me, and she's clean and and pretty. And, uh, you know, sometimes smells are not to be shared until later, and sometimes you don't even want to let on that you do that, even though I talk about it. It was something I just had to stifle, stifle that. So I'm in the bathroom. I do my business. I figure I'll be polite. I'm going to light a match, so I had some wooden matches on the... um, on the back of the toilet there. So I'm sitting on the toilet. I light the match. I wave it out. And then I go to put the uh, match out in the toilet between my legs. And I stick the the smoldering ember of the tip of the match right on to the top of my dick. And I, I branded it. This was not a good situation. I had another day with this person. And now I've got something that is going to appear much like a shanker of some kind on the head of my... My, um, my tool. So now I got a cop to this. I got to walk out of the bathroom and go, I just, I just stuck a hot match onto my, um, onto my cock. And, uh, that's something you and I are going to have to deal with. And I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to sort of write it out. I'll be fine, but I need you to know that's what that is. So be careful. I guess what I'm saying, sometimes politeness can burn your dick. It, is that the moral to extrapolate from that? Is that where we go from there? i'm ashamed that i shared that story it's going to be fine it's getting better thank you for asking right now i am i am more than pleased to uh, share with you now my conversation with romany malco uh had a great time and i had no idea i was going to have as good a time as i had but he's a he's a live wire he's a good cat <laughs>
1: did this interview for this magazine i'm not gonna say their names because they don't they don't deserve it uh-huh but the, the headline that they choose chose to use completely out of context yeah i was like what the fuck what was the like? headline like then i just realized it's this lowest common denominator man it was, it was, you know of they, course. They, they wrote apology a letter of apology saying we were just trying to you know attract readers
0: and blah 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 yeah but the thing is it's like what good's the apology the shit is out there
1: thank you Right, you. I, mean,
0: you know, sorry, I appreciate you apologize, but could you now take it out of everyone's head? Thank you.
1: I fucking agree. Exactly. <laughs> and then now there's this association with me being this way. I'm like, fuck these what people. What way? Man. What
0: happened? Come on.
1: Oh, man. Just, what? There's,
0: I don't know. You don't have to mention the magazine. What okay. was the, what, just, what, just,
1: uh, uh, just, it? It's just implying that somehow or the other I had to get back to black people. What like, oh. the fuck? What do you mean get when back? When the fuck did I ever leave when did I stop being black? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so anyway, it was it was just it was hilarious and demeaning. Get back
0: to black people. Yeah, like what, what was that based on? Like cause that that interests me that when when somehow or another someone decides like you've you've turned your back on your black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like <laughs> me? Me? T- Out of all people, of all, like,
1: literally with my Tijuana Jackson and all this other stuff. And anyway, I just, I just laughed at it. But they, they were like, we were just trying to, you know, I, we realized it was a, a major oversight. We've corrected the issue, blah blah blah. Well,
0: we, we realized it's a major oversight. You're still, you're still black, and we're, it's
1: okay. Literally, and I, you know, <laughs> I just from that point forward, I just like, okay, I just won't be fucking with these people. You know what I mean? Right. You know, I think because of the fact that I never really, I started in mainstream. Mm-hmm. Starting in mainstream, what um, does that mean? White? Um,
0: you know what? <laughs> well, I don't know because what would you say the the beginning? Like it's forty year forty year old virgin was a big break for you. That was a huge break for me. Forty year old virgin is was that what a big you break. would you consider the? That was when you were arrived. Where um, people knew you. Yeah. That's where I know you from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the version. But you were around a long time before that.
1: Yeah, I was around for a bit, you know, and I hadn't really been doing big stuff. Like, the, the things, I got to work with big, I got to work with, like, Vince Vaughn early in the game yeah. on a project called The Prime
0: Gig. But where would you come from? Let's go let's go back cuz I go back. Okay. I am willing to go back with you. I know. Dude, bro- you- I, I I'm a listener. I'm an <laughs> avid listener, I know. I'm you know,
1: prepared. I was, just, I was just talking to Ashley yeah. about she's like I was looking for the cats and I'm mm. talking to Ashley and she was
0: like oh, they're in the bedroom. I'll show you.
1: Yeah, yeah, and she and I said she said they don't come out much and I was like, "Well, I think they came out when Cranston was on." <laughs> they might have paid a visit. Ooh, I think it was when Cranston was on. I could be. Yeah, wrong.
0: Well, he uh he uh well, he might have seen them. I'll show you the cats after. Okay. But what kind of name is Romany Malkov? Um, it's a gypsy name. Is it really? Yeah. you Why? Know, Why uh, you get a gypsy name?
1: Because, you know, my family's Trinidadian and Venezuelan uh-huh. and in Trinidad we have a lot of East Indians and in, you know, I, I, I could be wrong about this but just in Trinidad being that, uh, you know, East Indian, the East Indian culture is so is so common. Yeah, my name isn't that far fetched, you know. Right, what I mean? right, right. Um, like the probably the most spoken language in uh, Trinidad is Bengali, which is like a, a dialect of you know uh, in, of Indian a, a Indian dialect. Have
0: you spent time in Trinidad? Um,
1: plenty. I went to school in Trinidad off and on as I, a kid. Oh my god! Yeah, so I have family from Venezuela, like Maracas in Venezuela, and then I have family from like San Fernando, .410, all over the place, Los Ciro, all over the place in Trinidad. Uh huh. And um. You know, and my both my parents met in Brooklyn, but they were both Trinidadians. My mom came from, uh, she came from Trinidad to uh, compete she was Mrs. Tr- she she won Mrs. Universe. I mean, oh, really? she, no, she won Mrs. Trinidad and Tobago, and came here to compete. And my dad had come here because uh, University of New York University NYU Yeah, NYU was very interested in my pops for. Um, he he was uh, he was already an established surveyor and engineer.
0: So the the it's a specific type of, of background, but is it's not it's not mostly Spanish. It's a mix, right? It's a, it's probably yeah. It's like similar. I guess th- I had a place in Brazil, and I found
1: Brazil to be very similar. You had too. a
0: place in Brazil?
1: Yeah, I, I, on the northeast coast of, of, of Bahia.
0: Why'd you just get a place in Brazil? You just felt like it? Um, You know what? One,
1: it was I'm really into fishing. I'm, yeah. I'm really into fishing. And I found the place that sat between these two huge, this town that sat between two huge rivers uh-huh. and right above a town called Recife, Recife, R E C I P H E or uh-huh. something like that. But Hisife sits right above, is, is the billfish capital of the world. Billfish. Yeah. So,
0: you know. And that's a good fish? That's a good fish. It's you're like. Ta- you're, you're talking like, you know, like I should know. <laughs> a billfish. Well, a billfish, it's, right. it's
1: a pretty prestigious game fish. And, you know, you see the ones, they have the big long thing in yeah, front of them. Yeah, him. yeah. So, yeah. That's not like, a marlin. That's like a, a marlin. Like a marlin, yes. So it's like a marlin. Yes. So you're a game fisherman. I love game fishing. You go out on a boat and yeah. you wrestle the fish. Well, now I go out on a kayak. You right, go, yeah. So
0: you're stripping it down.
1: Strip you're getting down. primitive. Primitive. I like it. I, you even out the playing field when you do that. But aren't you talking about fish that are as big as a kayak? Yep, absolutely. You want to be pulled around. If you ain't being pulled around, you ain't really, you know.
0: So you're out there with a kayak and a, a fishing pole that, mm-hmm. that locks into your kayak mm-hmm. trying to catch fish that can pull your shit. Yep. That's right. Until and then you just wrestle it out until it gives up. Well, it's dope. And then what do you do with the fish?
1: Well, then it depends. So, I'm a catch and release guy.
0: You mm-hmm. know what I mean?
1: Now, I caught like a 40 pounds uh white sea bass and his ass got ate.
0: Where'd you get that? Oh yeah, well yeah,
1: off the coast of Santa Barbara.
0: A uh, white sea bass off the coach, uh, coast, coast of Santa, of Santa Barbara. Barbara right absolutely.
1: up here. Um right Is up here. Is that normal? Um, are you,
0: they? There's
1: a season for them. There's a season for them, and you know, you, you, if you can, if you can get your line, there's a season where if you can get your line down past the barracuda, you you know, the sea bass are below them. Yeah, you know, because they're all feeding on like the bait so fish. So there's barracuda off of Santa Barbara. Oh man, I've caught so many barracuda off of Santa How big? Barbara. my nerves. Anywhere? How many feet? How many feet? Three, three feet. Three feet. Three barracudas. Three feet. All Four feet. Yeah. All teeth. All teeth. You, sometimes you can't get them in the boat because a mako shark will just eat that before you can get, Wait, you Wait, know, so
0: you're pulling a, a barracuda in and then a mako shark just jumps in, uh, up and eats your fish. Absolutely. You see that regularly. Absolutely. That's a common problem with with trying to get past barracuda, hooking a barracuda <laughs> by accident. You're going you to have to deal with a shark that's, that's going right. to come eat the barracuda. That's right. You you were, you were definitely in, in the food chain. Yes, exactly. You yeah, know what yeah, saying? Just I, a little bigger shark will come take you off the boat. The last time I saw, I would say it was
1: about a seven or eight foot mako, mako shark the last time I saw a shark in Santa Barbara I had I had put my rod down to help a friend and a fish pulled my rod into the water and it was a brand new reel I jumped off the boat swam down uh, after my reel I could just see this little gold spool disappearing and um, I came back got on the boat and about 10 minutes later, a mako shark just started circling the boat. I was like, that's that's the last, it it looks like the, up close, it looks like the the pit bull of sharks.
0: And was that the fucker that ate your reel?
1: Uh, No, no, it was, it ended up, there was a guy on the end of the boat who was throwing up the whole time, his rod somehow So he was sort of involuntarily chumming. Exactly, exactly, (laughs) and he hooked my line and ended up catching my rod two hours later. So you got
0: the rod back. Got the rod back with a mackerel on it. A mac. <laughs> so, all right. So, you grew up partially in Trinidad till how old? Yeah, um, till I was thirteen. So, so you like you went through a lot of stuff there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is definitely. that where you
0: you you learned
1: to love fishing? Um, you know what? Actually, I learned to love fishing in upstate New York. Yeah, yeah, because my pops would drive us out from Queens or from Brooklyn to upstate New York on the weekends or every couple weekends take all the kids in the neighborhood when I was really young.
0: So your dad was an engineer and a surveyor in Trinidad. That yep. got a did he get a full ride? Uh, nope. at NYU or he you didn't take it. My
1: dad did not take the full ride at NYU. My dad just basically literally went from that to becoming a laborer, and he eventually worked his way up on at you know working construction here, right, to becoming like a foreman and a superintendent. But prior to that, my dad literally he. had this gripe, He's like a black man will never be recognized for his skills in America. <laughs> That's how we felt. And but why didn't he
0: take the college
1: gig? Um, I on if I could if I could be a hundred percent frank, I believe that, um, you know, a huge portion of my father's upbringing was in this weird way, like this conditioning, this in constant invalidating invalidation of you know, of him and his abilities. And as a result of that, his insecurities overrode his his actual ability. He
0: didn't think he could cut it. He
1: didn't think it he didn't he always Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, you know, I definitely have adopted some of those, you know hard those, not to. Yeah. You have but, siblings? Um I have one younger brother. Yeah. I mean he's my dad's got like thirteen kids supposedly. I've met
0: five you know for five for like we're in, we're in trinidad in trinidad yeah i mean i imagine that shit stopped once he got stateside right yeah i mean you know <laughs> after yeah once he got stateside he had me
1: and my, my he fell in love with my mom and he had my brother they and met
0: I, they met in uh, new Bro- york brooklyn, brooklyn basement party yeah at brooklyn and your mom was a former beauty queen yep from trinidad yep so it all worked out
1: yeah that's how she got here she won the trip to america to come compete in america and, and she didn't she didn't leave no sir she got pregnant with me
0: and, that, and your dad was already a citizen?
1: My dad was, uh, I think they were both working on the citizenship. They are both about 23 years old.
0: Wow. Yeah, yeah. So where do you get time to have another 12 kids? Was that, that after? That was before. But before? Yeah, it was before. So but what, from what, 15 up, you just... I got,
1: man, it's weird. I got siblings. I got siblings. <laughs> like, I've met Donna, Debbie, Clint. I mean, these people, like, are, we've hung a lot, and they're just a few years older than me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? yeah. Yeah, my pops was a wild one, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately.
0: Before you left Trinidad. Yeah. yes,
1: And they're down there, all your siblings, your half-siblings? They're down there. <laughs> they are in trinity, in Trinity. <laughs> I go, I kick it with, I kick it with, um, I used to kick it with Debbie. Debbie was one of my sisters, but I kick it with Donna a lot. Donna is the one that was closest to my
0: pops. So, okay, so you grow up in, uh, in New York City. Yeah. And what, what do you do? You, what, what's your interest when you're a kid?
1: Um, when I was a kid, I, I mean, how would you get to yeah, acting? I want to play professional baseball. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, I, and I want to be an
1: oceanographer. So you want to get into baseball? Were you playing? Yeah, playing little league, the whole deal. We had all. So it was a childhood fantasy. It, it wasn't
0: like you were on the cusp.
1: No, I moved to Texas when I was like, you know, I left Trinidad at thirteen, moved to Texas with your folks, with my dad. My my parents. It's a long story, but basically, my my parents
0: separated when she found out about the twelve kids. Oh no
1: no 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 no! <laughs> she got pregnant because she found out about the kids.
0: Got it. She was I'm like, gonna hold oh! on to this. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah yeah yeah.
1: Oh 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 really? Because mm-hmm. my dad was like we don't have to have children. I have thirteen children. <laughs> no, and my okay. mom was like, a 20, oh, 23 like, year old, twenty four exactly. year old. <laughs> like hell you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was in, she insisted on getting um. Pregnant, And she told me this story about she couldn't get pregnant. And she found this thing uh, called Lydia Pinkham. Mm-hmm. And she said, I drank that Lydia Pinkham and I was pregnant instantly. And I thought, mom. I got to research this thing now, and I researched it. It's the worst thing you could ever take for yourself. What is is it? Lydia Pinkham was like this kind of hoax. This kind of it was basically a hoax back in the day that this woman sold, which was like a baby in a bottle. That was Uh the logo. That was that that was the slogan. If you take this thing, you know, it helps you get pregnant. Uh Kind of like today, if a woman can't get pregnant, she can get acupuncture. There's all these holistic things she can do. Lydia Pinkham kind of marketed herself that way back in the day, but it was just really. I read the ingredients and researched the ingredients in it. Woo!
0: Was it nothing, or was it bad? It was bad.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, really tough on the liver. Stuff that was really
0: tough on the liver. So, but she ended up having two kids. She ended and up then having your, your parents split up,
1: and then they split up when I was about uh, twelve. Yeah, twelve.
0: Mm. Yeah. But you were you were okay with both of them? Were they okay with each other? Was it volatile? Was it? It the, was. It did was. Did your dad kidnap you and take uh, you to
1: Texas? I did the kidnapping, actually. Believe it or
0: not. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, what happened
1: was, um, so my, I'm telling a lot, but my dad. <laughs> Uh, you know, my dad, he messed around.
0: Clearly he had an issue with right, that. Right,
1: exactly. <laughs> and so my mother, who was this beauty queen and really sheltered, didn't really have any life skills. She thought she was gonna live happily ever after with Prince Charming. Mm. And her method of retaliation- That was a
0: lack of foresight, I have to say. <laughs> I agree.
1: <laughs> well, uh, yo, this is funny as shit, but it's so true. Yeah. And you know, anyway, so she kind of, um, her way of dealing with it, coping, was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, her and my dad went their separate ways, um, and she w- she left with a guy who I thought was a drug dealer at the time, mm-hmm. and and um, she she upped and basically disappeared. Mm-hmm. So you know, I kind of resented that.
0: So she dis- she left. She got pissed at your old man, then and-, and,
1: and left. Yeah. And so my dad tracked her down. This is all within weeks. My dad tracks her down. Yeah. And um, when he tracked her down. Uh, She kidnapped my brother and I. Yeah. And when she kidnapped my brother and I, I was always closer to my mother, but because of the fact that she was with this guy who I thought was a drug dealer, I didn't want my younger brother, who was five years younger than me, in that environment. So I actually kidnapped my brother. At 12? At 12 and escaped to... uh, We were in Hempstead and managed to escape, managed to get in front of a guy named Detective Howie, you went to the cops. Um, well, I didn't go to the cops. We busted into a, 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 a dispatch. Yeah. They thought they thought we were robbing the place, and um, I told them what the situation was, and they called the cops. And I didn't. I didn't want to go at the cops because they didn't trust cops. You're a young black man in New yeah. York. You don't trust right. the cops. And I ended up sitting across from a guy named Detective Howie, and he really listened to me. Yeah. And he knew that i was trying to escape the precinct he knew right. i was trying to get out of the precinct yeah and so he really stopped took a moment to assure me that yo i'm going to give you what you want you just have to tell me what it is mm-hmm. and um i explained to him what the situation was but i didn't want to tell him my mom and tell her that she was with this guy who was a drug deal. i didn't want to tell him that was
0: he a drug dealer yeah all yeah
1: right. he he my mom was so naive she's like really i didn't know i'm yeah. like i'm like he was <laughs> all right yeah. I like I'd be walking down the street and just running to Neil.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm
1: like, what up, Neil? <laughs> you know what
0: I'm what are you doing out here? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um. Anyway, so I sat with Deck Detective Howie, yeah. and and my dad had a friend who was a correctional officer, and they were able to track him down. And he actually, and then within like two a day, we had fled to the Caribbean with your dad, with my dad.
0: But your dad didn't know where you were. Your mom took it, and he didn't know where you were. He had no so clue. so this was like you had to get out. Find somebody gonna find your dad. Yep. And then you went to Trinidad.
1: Went to Trinidad, yeah.
0: And you just hold up for a while. I was there I was there from the age of twelve to thirteen. And then who the hell decided Texas? Well, my dad
1: had already been going. He part of the reason he was able to have these affairs is because all this time he'd been working in Texas because construction was like a big thing. The oil was big in, in Texas. At so the time. he was uh,
0: he was working on oil rigs. Yeah, like working on oil in? rig,
1: building oil rigs. You know, they call them shutdowns or mm-hmm. where they shut down an oil rig or they or you know they start building one. You know.
0: So he's working for one of them big companies that just does oil rigs.
1: Brown and Root, Exxon, all those different companies. Yeah. Uh huh.
0: Yeah. As a foreman at that no, time. No,
1: but but back in those days, uh, just a pipe fitter.
0: Wow! Yeah, yeah, that's a filthy hard job. It is
1: a filthy hard job, man. My dad, my dad put in work. I remember there'd be times, you know. I grew up in like I, I, one of the blessings. And you're gonna laugh at me saying is one of the blessings I had is living in a fucking trailer park. <laughs> I grew up in trailer parks. I li- in, in Texas, we lived in the projects and we lived in trailer parks. I got to see all different kinds of culture, especially being West Indian. Yeah. So you got the Trinidadian experience. Yeah. Which is multicultural. Five most spoken languages in Trinidad. Ready? Yeah. English, Bengali french spanish and chinese how many you speak uh, i speak one which <laughs> is and i barely speak english Yeah, you know and i studied french for a long time but i'm i'm, I'm not fluent in french at all and gotta, i studied for a long time i have a knack for it you really do i lived in paris i lived in paris and i like i went to school at the european language foundation while i was there teachers refused to speak to me in english and i, I managed to get around but once you're not there once you're not running it all the time you don't yeah.
0: All right, so you go to Texas. Yeah,
1: so I go to Texas and. So you're um, living in the trailer park? Living in the trailer parks, you know, just kind of exposed me to uh,
0: culture in ways that I hadn't thought about. Like, what kind of culture? Good? Are you talking good or bad?
1: Well, like, it was a different kind of racism. It was a different kind of. (laughs) Trailer park racism? Yeah, it was different. And then, and I realized, like, you know, it wasn't just us like I always felt like oh you know black people have been so bad and yeah. then here I am 13 years old living in a trailer park and I'm like oh white people have- <laughs> they don't got it so good either oh shit so it's not it's really it's like you
0: know it's poor everybody people. it's poor
1: people it's right. everybody yeah. I was like oh wow and you know that was
0: interesting and was there any bonding though Was there, there was there was there any sort of like that's an interesting idea. I never, I, I mean, I'd obviously thought that, you know, the idea of poor white people, poor black people, that there is a oppression and, and a, a, a sort of contempt of the poor and a lot of race. That's something we don't talk about in America's class. Right. But was there a, any sort of unity around you know, the anger uh, of treatment of, of whites and blacks together?
1: Um. You know what? The, the, we weren't intelligent enough. I don't think at the time, I don't think that people were, I think that. Well, what I picked up on was that in the being West Indian, yeah. right, and or even just being a black American, being someone who was born, I'm the first American born in my family. Like what I had noticed amongst my people is that there was classism. There was there was racism according to complexion. So I was darker complected, So I couldn't get into a light skinned party. Really? You know, oh my God! It's hilarious. This is this is. I, I wish I was making this stuff up. A light
0: skin so, party. Yeah. How is that advertised? How? What's that invitation look like? Do they they give you the tone? Like if there's a party, well you know what? Like if you <laughs> like like literally like oh I hate to say this but.
1: You just weren't invited, you know, <laughs> too black, yeah, or you couldn't get in because you was, you know, it's funny. It's like it's just I just realized that there was this oppression, <laughs> this learned oppression that we had imposed upon ourselves, right? And not just in America, in the Caribbean, you know, in right. my black experience, that's what I experienced, yeah. you know. And then when I was in these trailer parks, I was like, oh shit, they do the same thing to each other. You know what I mean? The white people, the, yeah, they're yeah. classist. Um, you know, they're classist with you know within themselves and i'm yeah. like but we all live in a- oh so you have a double wide trailer park yeah. so oh you have a double wide trailer <laughs> yeah. oh i see so all right you know yeah right so
0: it happens there too exactly yeah. and the I'll- house on the hill is a double wide down the street <laughs> yeah
1: you know what i'm saying <laughs> literally
0: yeah. that's perfect One, that's perfect i gotta can i use that from that one sure. to explain this <laughs> yeah and
1: yeah so i you know that was eye-opening for me but i don't think that we were i don't think that everyone saw it that way and um, to communicate and identify with that but we bonded over different things we bonded over football and yeah. you know and, and baseball and, 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 music. and music and music you know
0: so what what were you what what were your ambitions at this point when did you start to to start to decide that you were going to express yourself artistically
1: um, I was about seven or eight and uh, uh, a dude that lived a few blocks away from me I lived at yeah. 224th and Merrick Boulevard and a kid that lived there named Timmy got shot at the park and we were all kind of mourning Timmy's passing, we were all sad, we are at my friend Eddie's house, and there was a guy named Mark who was a little older than all of us, and Mark said a rap, and he said, I heard a shot, I heard a cry, I said, Timmy, 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 did you have to die? You have to understand, as a six or seven year old, hearing that, um, I was like, oh wait a minute, we can express ourselves like that? From that point forward, I was like, I'm gonna be a rapper, period. And then <laughs> there, shortly thereafter, my dad came home with this record, called Rapper's Delight, yeah. Sugar Hill Gang. yeah, And that was all she wrote. So you start doing some eight-year-old rap? Start doing some eight-year-old raps. I write raps for me and my brother. They were corny, like, you know, yeah. well, I'm kid nice, and I'm sweeter than spice, and when I rap to the ladies, they melt like ice, because that was the style back then, yeah, you yeah. know? And, um, uh, and... That was the beginning of it, but I kind of kept. I was really, uh, you know, I was kind of like, you know, we were kind of like the bummy kids Mm -hmm. in New York. We were like the bummy kids, but that didn't have much supervision. Yeah, so I kind of kept that quiet. You know what I mean? Right. And maintained my reputation as being scrappy. Yeah, which I
0: was, (laughs) as opposed to someone who writes things.
1: Well, you know, just opposed to someone who was. um, uh, extremely vocal, uh-huh. you know, and outgoing.
0: So, scrappy means like you know, those are those kids that they what, what they're not, they don't talk much, they don't have much supervision. Was it's, is- it's
1: just ugly kids that didn't have much to lose. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? I get into a fight with anybody because I didn't have much to lose. You were a fighter. Um, I was. Yeah, when I was really young, I, that that was that was the way of expression. <laughs> really? Yeah. So you kicked some ass. I got kicked some ass, and I got my ass kicked. <laughs> and my dad was the type of dude that would be like, "Did you kick him in the face?" <laughs> did you kick him in the face okay well he don't respect you the next time you see him you kick him in the face (laughs) just out of nowhere Uh, right you know my dad was like very angry and unresolved and you know and so his he his anger would manifest in violence you know
0: yeah so when when, so you're in texas how long do you stay there
1: um i I graduated i I graduated from high school and junior high in texas and joined the military
0: really yeah oh my god it's a hell of a story oh man what military uh marine corps You joined the Marines? Joined the Marines, yeah. You went through all that? Is that why
1: you're in good shape and you seem focused? Um, You know what, I have to say that the Marines definitely they gave gave me some focus. (laughs) And it definitely, you know what the Marines teach you? What? How to play the game without emotion. Uh-huh and because I'm a very emotional person i get I have convictions i get i you know I get very emotionally invested in things, yeah, look the Marines helped me. i got to make that really clear like I told them i wanted I had a chance at a record deal in California, and I was a reserve. They stationed me in California so that I could pursue my dream, so not knocking it, but just the military as a whole, when it really boils down to it, right, yeah, you know, we follow the orders of like the elite. 0.1 percent sure and when we're in these
0: the real f- house on the hill
1: the real house on the hill and <laughs> yeah. when we're in these places you know nobody looks at the i don't think anybody thinks of the white house is being real anymore no but you know when you look at when you put you know 19 year olds in these situations where they're tricked into believing they're doing something noble when in all actuality they're clearing the fields so that that elite 0.1 percent can set up their oil rigs and extract yeah, natural I say, resources so
0: your your dad was working yeah for the same people that you were dying for.
1: Exactly. Absolutely. That was the system. That was the system. That oh. is the system. It's not was. So
0: when so you, you were able to join as a reservist? Well, yeah. I joined. I had to do boot camp. I had to
1: do school of infantry. So, you know, I went and did the boot camp really it's a trip. You know, a dude is telling you, you know, pick up your footlocker, which is it. all your belongings are in it. Run it all the way to the end of the barracks. Drop it. Run to the other end of the barracks. Touch the wall. Run back, and uh, pick up your your, your footlocker and run it back to the other end and repeat that a hundred times. After a while, you just detach. I never forget. I first got to the military, right? For what? Just for what? Just because they just, want to? You were in They trouble. decide you were scrappy. Yeah. They, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No. No. They do it to everybody. Like I, when I first got to the when I, we first got off the buses and we first showed up at boot camp, they had like three hundred of us in a room and all the drill sergeants are sitting up on the table in front of us. Yeah. And they're joking with us. Hey, you know, who who, who, likes, who eats pussy? Yeah. Who does this? Who does that? Yeah. And kids are raising their hand because the drill sergeants are joking with them. Yeah. And uh, this one guy, I forgot his name, he raised his hand, because goes, you eat pussy, huh, Private? What's your name, Private? Said Private so-and-so. He yeah. like, said, okay, all right. You eat pussy. You eat that pussy till the booty in the head cave in? Sir, yes, sir, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the kid starts joking with them. And they flipped on a dime, surrounded him, and I thought they were going to beat his ass. And they were like, you think it's much profit? you make making eye contact with me, profit? They were going in on him so hard. I was like, oh, I get the game. I get the game.
0: They were seeing who's the smartest. Yeah,
1: yeah, they set you up. You know what I mean? Yeah, to see who. For an opportunity to. Who's, exactly. Who's got.
0: Some uh yeah. Moxie. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, so what I did was from that point forward, I clicked. Yeah. I followed orders and yeah. did what I was supposed to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. just knew that it was temporary. Yeah. And you know, I was always in first, second, or third. But you chose it was, this. I, I chose it completely. But like, I, I just didn't know how it went until Why'd I got you choose there. it? Um, because I didn't really all I knew was that I wanted to be a rapper. And mm. I didn't really have any other direction than that. So I thought that if I got my military time down, at least I would have the option for the GI Bill. Yeah. So I said, you know what? I'll have the GI Bill in place. I can always go in and use it towards getting a house. Use it towards getting, you know, an education. Right. I didn't know the, that. You know, from the time that you signed up for the GI Bill, you actually extend your term. At the time, that's
0: that's what the deal was. So you were in for how long? Four years. So that and that's it. That was it. And you ended up what? You went to boot camp. You went to. I only did like infan- three what infantry I, training. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I was. <laughs> yes, yeah, other thing you you can choose any MOS you want, but I ended up being a grunt. Oh three eleven. And um, so I I did I did boot camp, and then, then with the school of infantry we call it we call the school of infantry back yeah, in the day right, and that was on Camp Pendleton, and you know we just basically learned the drills, we learned hand to hand combat, we learned how to shoot yeah you know um, yeah damn back in them days I was running a I was running three miles through the woods through the mountains in like seventeen twenty one. you're still in good shape, right? I I'm I'm decent, you know what I mean? I'm decent, but yeah, <laughs> I try to. It's just really more eating than anything. Mm-hmm. Just avoid I avoid sugar at all costs. So back to answer your first question of when did I start to use my voice was that when I moved to Texas, um, you know, living in trailer parks and whatnot, Mm -hmm. I decided to be vocal about my rapping then. And I went from kind of like being like this bummy nerdy kid in Texas to kind of being like one of the ranger rappers because our school... Mascot was a ranger, uh-huh. and you know I became the ranger rapper at so a, one of the ranger rappers at my
0: school. And so doing it in front of the crowds at the sporting events, over one? the
1: intercom in front of the crowds. You were the everything. guy, me and a couple. I, got, I had a whole crew, yeah. Uh huh. And then that that kind of gave me a voice that I didn't, I never had before. Hip hop gave me a voice, and I was like, oh shit, yeah, I can say anything I want.
0: You could write jokes. You could be funny. You could and exactly. You, know, and you and could, I just, push I could push buttons. <laughs> I could push
1: buttons all day, and that's what I live for. <laughs> Pushing buttons. That's right. Say it with a straight. Not face. in the Marines. So. Uh, non Marines. They were they were trying to push your buttons. <laughs> yeah. They literally, uh, if you saw a drill sergeant stand in front, yeah, of if in front of a puddle, mm-hmm. don't flinch. Because mm-hmm. the minute they they're gonna they're gonna seek out the weak one. Yeah. They're gonna be like, okay, you know, Private Marin Yeah. Come here. Yeah. Come here, boy. Come here, boy. You are fucking me, Private. So no, so now you have to stand in front of him. That means you're standing in the puddle. Right. Drop, Private. Roll, Private. Roll right, Private.
0: Roll left, Private. Get up, Private. Get out of my goddamn sight, Private. Awful mud. Yes, right just because what just because
1: <laughs> and that's how you learn to detach that's how you learn to yeah, so you learn to detach by saying i want to be that guy well i learned <laughs> to detach in the sense that i roll through the mud crawl through it you know sleep on top of a king snake or whatever i had to do you know what i mean yeah in order to uh in order to get the job done and so not make it did, personal
0: did you go anywhere did were you did you fight um did i
1: no 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 i got lucky um you know, we had this, this, this invasion where Saddam's invasion of Kuwait, yeah. they started pulling our troops mm-hmm. and we were like number 23. Yeah. <laughs> dudes started, dudes in our, in our battalion started fleeing to like Canada and shit. It oh, was really? funny. The
0: reservists started
1: bolting? I started bolting, started getting girls pregnant. They were like, yeah, if you have a baby, you don't have to go. I was like, what? What? Yeah, that, that doesn't seem crazy. right. I didn't seem right at all. And um, anyway, um, the, the, you know, Kuwait's surrender was so quick.
0: You didn't go. Didn't have to go, and that was what? In, how many years in were you already? Mm, two years, and you were living in L.A. I was living in Houston. I was
1: stationed back in Houston, and then um, I said I wanted a rap career, and in '89 I packed up and moved to California.
0: And you were still in? Still in third year.
1: Third year, and it would literally. There's a base right over there, not too far from here. Yeah. There's an Air Force base over there by Stadium Way that the Marines share with the with with the Air Force, and I would go over there and do like paperwork and stuff for them straight up.
0: And that was that. That was your only requirement. That's my only requirement. Yeah, show up for work occasionally. That's it. So you come out So what what were you doing in Houston? And I'm to
1: the school, Junior High and High yeah. School in Baytown, Texas. So my goal was to go get my crew and move to California so that we could get a record deal, but they didn't want to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were like we can we can do it right here in Houston. Yeah. You know? And it's true. There were like some budding rap groups, like the Ghetto Boys, Royal Flush, Raheem. There was a record label called um Rap a Lot Records. It was a Dude named Action back in the day, and you Uba knew King, all these Scarface. guys. I mean, we would rap with them at the um or, or battle rap and stuff like that at this club called the Rhinestone Wrangler back in, in the In Houston. In Houston, and yeah. that
0: what was that like battle rapping? I see, this is a world I don't know about. So you got uh battle,
1: you know, it's like you go you go for the jugular. You, yeah, you, you 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 try to hurt people's feelings.
0: You the other guy
1: you you try to hurt the other you try to dis, you try to you try to destroy their so it's crew. not a
0: collaborative community thing it's more like the dozens amplify
1: it's the dozens amplify but then you come together and you're like you know it's but it, it's, it, the it, it's the game it's the game i never forget this guy named willie d he said um he had this thing where we used to wear these kung fu shoes all the time. Your guys. Yeah. And he had this <laughs> joke. <laughs> <laughs> this dude said, it should crack me up so much. He said, oh, This motherfucker dressed like he know karate, head like a donkey in a German shipping body. <laughs> the country is funniest shit I ever heard This shit had me crying so when when you do that it's all improvised usually? a lot of time we just made it off from the top of our heads but we would come with prepared raps too Yeah, you get to go in on them like make some personal shit about them
0: so this was a whole night so guys would be on stage together?
1: yeah and we, we, we were too young to be in the club so Big Steve who owned the rhinestone would make us sit by the door, yeah. Until it was time to battle, yeah. And then we got to go on stage and battle with the big dudes, you know. Oh, so, oh, we, we were just so
0: good. A, yeah. He was like, I get these dudes, these dudes, and your kids too, which is cool. Yeah. You know, yeah, they're exactly. like these youngsters are going to come in here and do this thing. Exactly. And you're waiting by the stage door. Waiting by the stage door. But we opened
1: our mouths on stage. Yeah. It was a problem. Yeah. <laughs> It was a problem. Like like I never get uh I ain't gonna say the rap group's name wanting to beat our asses in the parking lot. And yeah. people was like, Yo man, they kids. It's like, yeah, but they talk like grown ups, nigga. You gonna say some shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: I never forget that shit. They talk yeah. like grown ups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> to whoop our asses. But uh, it was but generally it was uh it was um
1: friendly. It was yeah, it was friendly. You know, I mean and we had a community, like it was a hip hop community and ultimately we did things for that community. Right. You know what I mean? And um, it was new in the sense that, you know, the South was kind of disregarded back in those days um, in hip hop. You know, the the, the West Coast uh, had their thing and the East Coast refused to acknowledge us. And at the time, they were kind of the conduit, you yeah. know. So, you know... In 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 its rebellion, the South started forming its own thing. Little J, who was um who who owned Rap a Lot of Records, you know, started yeah. this label. He started signing people like Action, who became Scarface, who became one of my favorite rappers of all time. Uh-huh. Um, the Ghetto Boys and all that, and they started getting this surge, you know. And now you got you know. <clears throat>
0: I remember I had the Ghetto's Boy, one of the Ghetto Boy albums, maybe the first album, just because that guy was so fascinating. Um, which one? Uh? The little guy. Oh, oh,
1: oh, Bushwick Bill. Yeah, you yeah. had the one. You had. Where the he's one. all fucked up on <laughs> the cover. Damn, damn, damn,
0: damn. I mind playing tricks on the album? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't know that what that it. was. Yeah.
1: The, the 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 action. The Scarface album that got me was that gunshots rang out. What the fuck? Heard this nigga bite the bullet. Like, damn, fucked him up. Um, 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 um. um it, it was basically the soundtrack of Office
0: Space. Right.
1: <laughs> Right. right. remember it starts out he's in the car when he's saying that rap you know yeah yeah yeah
0: that's right he's singing it and then they pull up next to him that album is my one of my
1: favorites you know um yeah yeah that might have been the 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 ghetto boys resurrection album actually because they broke up they had a guy named big mike join and take scarface's place and then scarface eventually came back when scarface is in the group he did, did he produces great music
0: and he just says crazy shit yeah and wait so that was your dream man
1: that was my dream. I lived my dream, and yeah. you,
0: but you, what so you, you're doing it in Houston with your guys, right, right?
1: So, so I eventually got them to talk, got them to agree to move to California. So and we 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 finally got to California in '89, yeah, June of '89, and we got our record deal about a year later. What was
0: the name of the? Of the... Our
1: group was called College Boys, uh-huh. and we signed to Virgin Records. Yeah, we had we were one hit wonders. We had a hit called "Victim of the Ghetto," which happened to be happening at this exact same time as the riots the los angeles riots right so the los angeles riots kind of um helped amplify you know because every news station that spoke about this riot nationwide yeah also played our music in the background
0: Really? Yeah. So you got you got a, a hit off of Rodney King's demise. A hit off of Rodney
1: King's rise and demise. Right. Yeah. You know, because Rodney King was big in the clubs for a minute. Yeah. After that, he'd show up in the club like he was, you know, like he was the man.
0: Yeah, he was, and, but and he was a be little like, beat up. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, he was obviously beat up in the horrible situation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, as, yeah, as yeah, a, yeah. That's right. He was sort right. of a. Uh, like I, I don't know if he was, it was, uh, you know, sadly the position that he had culturally was a lot, you know, it was a heavy burden in a way. Right, you know, and- it was
1: it, you're right. It's it's funny because I was so young and insensitive at the time yeah. that I was really angered by the situation because we had all experienced art things with cops and um you know, Rodney King was like can't he I think his famous we quote all get along, I'll get yeah. along. Yeah. and in my mind I was actually thinking like
0: nice. I, I I was angry. <laughs> I was angry. I just say
1: that. And so in retrospect, yeah. You know, he's aware of what he's done in his life.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: he's aware of what his karma is. Mm-hmm. And if that was the perspective that he had at the time, the, the mature thing to do was to honor it.
0: Right. You know? Right. I, I yeah, was, to be a spokesman. Exactly. Of peace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah to... to. You know, it had two purposes.
1: Yeah, exactly. It would have been great. It would have been great. (laughs) That's fucked up.
0: (laughs) It would have been great if he said, fuck all you all. No, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, this is bullshit, but... It would have been great
1: if he had something profound to say. It would have been great.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you know, what is there to say at that moment? (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, you know, that there's
1: a... I mean, at least for me at the time, was that there was a major imbalance in the the profiling. You know, and that... Uh, there's this con- this convenient way of making young black Americans a scapegoat for the judicial system and for right. the prison system, you know? And at the time, that was really obvious to me, you know? Yeah. And speak about the amount of tax dollars that go into it, and if if you're someone who isn't, you know, look, if from my research, yeah. Um, your birth certificate is basically a bank note that's handed over to the Federal Reserve anyway, right? Right. So ultimately, each person on average is worth about, and my numbers could be off, but about $750,000 in taxes over a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, all the debt that 0.1% accrues, they pay them back by handing over these bank notes to the Federal Reserve, Mm -hmm. right? And if you become a non-tax-paying citizen, as far as America's concerned, well, we're going to get the taxes out of you by putting you in jail. And when you're in jail, we'll get 166 dollars, uh, you know, 166 dollars a day in tax money, from the public, to pay for your incarceration. I never heard
0: about. I never heard it framed that way. That's well, a. That's a. Well, a, leave a, it
1: up to me to do some shit like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? I like it. You get uh, yeah. You got a desire to break it mm-hmm. down to its most simple yes uh, 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 definition. You have to. Your birth certificate's a bank note. If you ain't paying on that note, they're gonna put you in jail to make their money.
1: Yeah. Bottom line, I mean that's how it looks to me, and you know what? I'm not look. I, that's again, that's my that's my interpretation of the information that I've collected. I'm not saying it's a fact.
0: What it, that sounds like a good rap. Yeah, that, yeah. that would be like yeah. The, oh, think about that, damn it! The, the idea that your birth certificates a bank note, for yeah. the Federal Reserve. Yeah, yeah. That's man. that's that's fucking some cutting through the hypocrisy. <laughs> that is some solid uh, a verse there. You know, see
1: that that's that's what rap that's what rap does. So even if even it, you know it's like even if you're wrong, mm-hmm. rap as I grew up in it, you know what I mean? Yeah, because <laughs> if can be, you
0: say it with enough confidence, exactly. people will be like, it makes sense. Well, you,
1: you you what you do is you 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 create dialogue around the subject and that's you get right. to the bottom of it. Right, you know what I mean? To a degree. The history as we know it and what's really going on in actual politics as we know it in foreign affairs is all a mystery because the corporations are writing it, you know, conveniently. Right. So, you know, it's great, in my opinion, to speculate and to, like, inspire people to, like, research. And-
0: well, yeah, I've always, I've said that uh, the American democracy is a money laundering front.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's how you break it down to its most basic form. Right. Thank you. That's what, I mean, it's, it's hilarious. Like, when I see people... Ha- I, I, I honestly like you ever you ever date a girl or has maybe a girl's ever dated you mm-hmm. and you realize within 5 minutes of being in this person's presence that oh man this person has a lot of unresolved pain is completely out of touch with their own pain and right and you're like and you you get a, a sympathy in your heart for that person
0: yeah after you feel the sympathy comes right after you feel attacked <laughs> <laughs> yes yes well that's that the, hurt the, that exactly is that my fault that, exactly i don't think it is oh this chick's fucked up now oh. what do i do okay
1: exactly and like that's how i feel when i hear people having like really heated debates over de- democrats and republicans yeah. going at it there's a part of my heart that sincerely hurts for them because you know I does mean, that
0: part win over the fuck that
1: no, I don't. I I don't participate in that. I okay. mean, look, because you do get to you do get to vote on. We get to vote on whether or not gay marriage is legal. We get to vote on things like you know these social issues. But as far as foreign affairs, right? Do you think they're going to let the average layman foreign affairs? Now, this is a huge conglomerate. No, I mean, are going. They're, they're going back to Iraq. Exactly. No, they, they, they didn't they, ask me, dude. Dude, do you think exactly? You think they're going to let us vote? Us, the layman who doesn't even know what the petrodollar is, they're going to let us choose the CEO for that conglomerate for the next eight no, years. No,
0: but see, but that's the whole problem now is that you know that there's such a, a an aggravated apathy once the reality has been shown to the people that do vote and even the people that don't vote that they're not working in our interest that they're all they're banking on is enough people are going to when they go like how you doing they're going to go like no nah, I don't know I'm okay all right well if most of the people say that and there's a couple of others on the fringe saying like this is fucked up yeah. or the other guy saying like I ain't making enough money yeah. as long as those are relative minorities to the people that are dis- disconnected and going like no, nah, I'm all right you yeah. know I'm, I'm I can you know I can eat and I don't give a shit about the rest of it. That's how. That's who it's driven by. Yeah, it's not driven by right or wrong. It's no, driven sure. by like who do I who's the, who do I vote for? That guy seems like I like his hair. No. So I don't give a fuck. No, no, but but they don't represent anything but business interests. <laughs> I,
1: I completely. I mean, it, you know, don't be wrong. You know, um, uh, the last girl I dated, her you know her dad was a delegate, and you know it really helped me. I would go in. I got to go in and see them vote on someone, and I realized that when you go state to state, people care. The, there, there within are poly- the communities and in in states yes. in the
0: state government, there yeah there the, are yeah thank God there are people that are showing up at the meetings exactly they're showing they're taking yes. action like all the people that really give a shit they're, they they just that's what they do they don't look for attention yeah. they're not arguing with you know people on television grassroots you know uh, organizations and also community based politics yeah. people that really give a shit those are the unsung heroes of of what really makes democracy great
1: I always say when I make my movies and I'm the star of my movies mm-hmm. and I get to allocate tickets. Those are the people, those teachers that the students vote for and those people, those delegates, those people working on the ground, you know, in, in, on, on the ground level are the people that I'm bringing to my premiere and the, I'm showcasing at every opportunity that I get, whatever opportunity is, as shallow as it may sound, right. whatever way I can reward them, whatever way I can enhance and make their lives better or g- help them get acknowledged for what they're doing, that's what I, that that's my goal. And w- back to what you, were, the, the point that you were making is that, you know, if you look at, Activists that are being effective. Yeah. They don't even fuck with the White House. No. The White House is a waste of fucking time. They go straight to the corporations. They hit you in the pocket. They know who the bosses are. That's how you get shit done. And let's just, I don't know if you know this, but like African Americans are slated to spend like 1.1% trillion dollars by 2015. Mm-hmm. Like they're spending money. They respond to advertising and they're They, are they go to shows. They, they go to they shows. They go to
0: movies. Yep, they're huge
1: consumers. Your movie did
0: 30 million the first
1: weekend. Thank you. During the World Cup, mind you. During the freaking <laughs> World Cup. So, you know, my point being is that if, if 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 people just acknowledged their purchasing power. Yeah. And they were like, you know what? If we could collectively boycott. But that's why all these this division is so put in place is that is to prevent that. It's to prevent that type of unification. And saying, "Sure, okay, fight amongst
0: yourself." Exactly.
1: Exactly. Divide be- and conquer. Right. Because if we were to do that, what we would then do is we could make a, we could demand of these corporations, "Yo, we got all your damn, we got your iPads and shit. Why don't you come put some money in this school? In fact, we won't be buying your shit until you do." Yeah. And if we were able to do that, I understand. I understand enough to know that division, you know, uh, is is important for in order for like the higher ups to sustain they you have to divide keep That's them fine. fighting yeah. over bullshit exactly so but if we were to do that that's really you want to change that's how right. you do it you hit
0: him in the pocket well right well okay so the, so now we're talking you know uh romany malco the activist <laughs> i'm not an activist no but no but i'm saying that you know like you think about this stuff mm-hmm. so you're rapping so you had a voice yeah i had a voice, and you had the one hit mm-hmm. and then how how does it go from there to 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 acting and, and to making that decision then
1: well after i had my rap career i started doing jingles with my boy nitro uh-huh. And uh, I was having such a blast doing jingles. I thought I'd never really go back to doing anything in hip hop again. Jingles for what? Like shore commercials, honeycomb commercials. Dude, I became like, dude, I, I'm i not kidding you. We'd have like four jingles on the air at once. And that's a, that's a good paycheck. Incredible. <laughs> we had a blast. Yeah. We had a, and we were, and you know, rap was popular for these jingles back in the day. Yes. So sometimes we'd make singing hooks, but sometimes singing jingles, sometimes we'd make like rap jingles, you know and we would have a blast. <laughs> Me and Nitro Night Diggy giving a shout out to Darren Clowers right now. What up, man? <laughs> the Jingle um, Guys. The Jingle Guys. And um so after that, um I uh started I'm going to produce records. So i produced produce like CC Peniston and stuff like that. Um not her big hit, but uh-huh. I did get to produce some stuff on CC Peniston and I did some stuff with Randy Crawford and then after that I did I started an internet business. And I'm telling you right now. Yeah. We are not going into this, I'm just gonna say this, I started an internet business, yeah. and that shit changed my life. 1997, I decide I'm selling stuff on the internet. I start selling this shit on the internet, and within three months, it's not a whole lot of money, but at the time it was, yeah. I was making more money in three months than I'd ever made as a rapper. Selling what? Health products that revolved around male health specifically okay so if you want boner to, pills boner pills if you wanted to get uh, uh increase your fertility herbal if you stuff wanted, like natural like okay. herbal stuff for like you want to gain muscle so were you manufacturing this stuff or? i was not but i was getting private label deals
0: uh-huh uh-huh. I was getting
1: private label deals. Okay. And um that So were you using your image, your picture like look at me? Hell no, I, per- I pretended to be somebody else cuz I was like if they find out that a rapper is selling them this shit, it's going. If they find out that a black dude is behind this company, we in trouble. You right. know what I mean? So I did it. I would I would pretend to be uh you know, I would I would uh I would speak to everybody on the phone and just pretend to be a spokesperson for the company, but I would never make it seem like I owned it or that it was me. But
0: it was your thing. It was my thing. And it, where the hell did that come from? Where'd the incentive for that, the inspiration? What, what <laughs> you, you rec- you're you producing records, you're rapping, you're making jingles, you're going to sell herbal a, boner pills.
1: A, a, a comedian that you know, who I'm not going to name, okay. said she was going to be in a certain magazine. Okay. It turns out that when I went through the magazine, it was just her hands. Uh-huh. And she was holding a blurb in Details Magazine, uh-huh. I read that blurb, and it gave me the impression. It, it just, it like a light bulb. I was like, if I advertised on sports radio,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'd be hitting i I'd be hitting ninety nine percent of my my demographic if I started, you know, doing things around male health, and I couldn't let that go. Just after that it was all about it was
0: you just had an idea. It was an entrepreneurial idea. Absolutely. Had nothing to do with your creativity necessarily. It was just sort of like I got to do this.
1: Yes, because I've always been an aspiring. In, in, in junior high, I sold candy. In junior high, I sold buttons. I'd make menudo buttons and new edition buttons and sell those. So you're always
0: like a little uh, always, a little yeah. entrepreneur guy.
1: Always. I used to throw parties. By the time I got to high school, I was throwing the biggest parties in Baytown. Me and my boys were throwing huge parties. For money? For money. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was, you know, so you
0: had that going. You, knew you wanted yeah. to make bank big.
1: I knew I wanted to make bank at some point. And, Somehow. Um, Didn't matter. Did not really, to be quite frank. Yeah. I wasn't going to sell drugs. Right. We sold a little weed. Right. (laughs) But I did not feel good about that. I did not feel good about that.
0: You can't set up a site for weed. Not then. No. Maybe now.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But But even as dicey. Yeah. I mean, you know know what? It's funny, though. Like, you know. How long did you keep that site going? um, That site went until about my first really decent acting gig. I would say that I kept it from 97 to about 2000. Four, wow. Eight, 2004. And
0: it kept doing well?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, it was it was the funniest thing where I had an agent being like, you're going to have to choose. You're <laughs> making good money there. Yeah, if this links back to this, you know, and I started I started stepping away from the business. I got calls from Howard Stern. I used to be on Jonathan Brandmeier's show all the time. It was ridiculous. On the phone? No, man, live on, on his radio station. For
0: the male herbal stuff? hmm On the radio, though. On the radio. So they still couldn't connect you, but you're using a real name. Um what else you want to talk about <laughs> <laughs> all right so when the acting break come how'd you get into that i get a call
1: from uh you, you, george stephanopoulos right you know yeah. george his brother andrew stephanopoulos and i are pretty decent friends yeah right and andrew stephanopoulos how'd you always, meet that guy um at virgin records when i had gotten my record when did meal.
0: the paris thing happen
1: the paris thing that was when i i, I shot a movie with paul rudd it, before it, the website it was it was it was during the website
0: okay Saturday so movie. you going out for auditions, you had an agent. I, I didn't have an agent.
1: I got into acting because John Leguizamo heard some stuff that I had done for Paula Abdul's animated cat. Yeah, And he was like, I want to rap like that for my movie called The Pest. Yeah, And I want to say that this was around the time that my business was doing decent. So it might be 98, 99. Yeah. And so I started writing this stuff for John Leguizamo when we started hanging out. And his wife at the time was named Yelba. Yeah, And she was like, Rom... We hang out with comedians. You're one of the funniest people we ever met. And I wasn't trying to be funny. Yeah. So it was, an, it was an insult. I yeah. never thought of myself as funny. Right. But John was like, you mind auditioning for this movie? And I was like, fuck it, I'll give it a shot. So he couldn't be there because he was off filming Romeo and Juliet. So I would audition for the casting agent, Wendy Kurtzman, and the director. They called me back six times. They called me back for a mix match session. Yeah. I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the brother from Mad TV, um, who was also e. in Jerry Maguire. Ari e. Spears, my bad. So I didn't get the role. Didn't trip, went about my business, back to my internet business. I was traveling all over, traveling to Japan, Italy. My business afforded me luxuries I didn't have before. I had a beautiful girlfriend. We were doing everything we could, right? Yeah. And she was really smart. She's like, oh, let's go to the Galapagos. Yeah. Okay, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then um, about a year goes by, and I'm getting calls from all over the place. And I'm paranoid now. Like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And it turns out that it was just a, basically a bunch of, um, you know, my girl was like calling me and saying, You're getting, We're getting faxes from these people. They tracked you down through the music industry. And I'm like, About what? I'm like, Why the fuck are you telling people my shit? Why are you giving them my fax number? You don't know who this is. I'm thinking it could be the cops or some yeah, shit, yeah. right? And um, it was basically casting agents in Hollywood. Casting agents in Hollywood, Wendy Kurtzman had told them that I was her favorite audition of all time. And it was pilot season. So the word had gotten out and they'd all wanted me to come in and audition for stuff So I went in and ended up testing for a couple of things and they were like and then agents started saying they wanted to represent me And so I just listened to all the messages. I had like I don't know 30 messages from all these people and there was this one lady named Lisa DeSante who sounded really nice Yeah, and sincere. Yeah, and she's the only person that I called back I went and sat with her had a checkbook in my pocket at the end of it I was like how much is it gonna be and she's like no, baby I get you checks. Yeah. And I was
0: like, <laughs> just, this, a, who I wrote this <laughs> to? We looking at this this Italian
1: chick, she looking at me. I'm talking about how much?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. We uh, sat in the office for like three hours.
0: Yeah. And
1: she was like, uh, no, I no. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I pay you. I'm yeah. gonna get you paid. And then that was it. And I started acting from there. Did you stay with her? Um I stayed with her forever, but um there came a point where um, you know, Lisa DeSante has a
0: huge temper. Mm-hmm and it, her temper was. Is she a, a solo shop or she worked for somebody? She, she
1: does, Um. she, well now, well she's a manager now, she's all established and rocking now, right. but at the time, I went, you know, I, I tried to stay with her best as I could, but um, to justify my move from Lisa DeSante, I would just say that um, I had a, a manager and I had Lisa DeSante as my agent. Elisa DeSante was sending me out for the role to play Tupac in this MC Hammer story. Yeah. And my management called him and said, don't do that. And she was like, why not? She's like, because he should be the lead. And they had an argument. Yeah. And I ended up booking the lead. Yeah. And I thought to myself... I didn't even think of myself as the lead. Yeah, Maybe I need to be in the company of people who think yeah. of me as the lead, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> what and was so, that movie called? So, um, It was called Too Legit, the MC Hammer story. It was a VH1 movie.
0: Oh, okay. Was, so all right, so you did a lot of little stuff, did a lot of bit parts, there were funny bit parts, right? Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, yeah some were funny and some were straight out. I, one of them was a drama, a level, a sh- my first show was called Level Nine, and after I booked enough TV, I booked a lot of commercials first. And then yeah. after I booked commercials, I started booking a lot of TV. And then after I started booking a lot of TV, I worked my way up to getting a TV show. And then after a TV show, I started working my way up to getting small roles in movies and then eventually worked up to being a significant player in a movie. But what happened is around, I want to say around 2000, my one of my best friends, his name is Jesse Parrots, who I had met through my girlfriend. My girlfriend's bigger sister booked me in my first commercial yeah. at the time. Um, and uh, I met a guy named Jesse Parrots. And Jesse Parrots and I became best friends over the weirdest thing. I made this thing called mango chow, which is a common dish you eat in the Caribbean. He ate it. He was the director on a commercial. He ate it and goes, I was doing craft service with my buddy Josh, who was the, the ex-boyfriend ex of the, my current girlfriend. You were working craft service? Craft service with my boy Josh. Yeah. And he was like, um, this is before I started my company. Right. And... I met Jesse. Yeah. And Jesse tasted my mango chow and was like, I used to eat this. My Trinidadian babysitter used to make this. This is a Jewish guy telling yeah, me this. Yeah, yeah. And then he starts imitating the Trinidadian accent. We were best friends from that point forward. <laughs> Still. Still. Mm-hmm. And he ended up, you know, he ended up directing this movie and he wanted to cast people for the movie. So he had this guy named Ross Broccoli, who was
0: really funny. I know Ross Broccoli. Ross
1: Broccoli's fucking funny as He's shit. He's
0: in Nebraska. Ross Ross was a guy, one of my guys back in the day. Yeah,
1: I gave Ross a place to stay one time, and this motherfucker wakes up in the middle of the night and goes through my closet.
0: Yeah was was he in his sleep? Or- he was sleeping.
1: <laughs> Opens the front. When spot. was
0: this? When were you hanging out with Ross Broccoli?
1: Ross Broccoli, two thousand. Oh, 1999, 2000. Is
0: that right? That was back when I knew him. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. A little falling out. But I mean, he ended up going in a, he did some commercials. He stashed the money. He went and he bought a farm. He goes to Nebraska. Good for Ross. Good for Ross. He's an
1: interesting guy. He really, really was. See, yeah. he, he's the kind of guy that you would find me hanging out with. Yeah. Unintentionally. You know and what the, I'm saying? Yeah. And what's the director's name? Parrots? Jesse Parrots. He's pretty much the producer. He's a producer on Girls. Uh, does a lot of Nurse Jackie. Um, oh, I think
0: I just met this guy he, he, because he, I just did a part in Girls. Yeah, yeah. A couple weeks ago. You met
1: him. He's your best friend? Yeah, man. That's my that's my brother. God damn, Small <laughs> world. <laughs> Jesse Peretz is my brother.
0: Yeah, he introduced himself to me. I, oh, okay. It's all making sense. Ross Broccoli, you. Yeah. Everybody's connected. Yep, exactly. So, you know. What movie
1: did he put you in? A movie called The Chateau. Okay. I begged him not to put me in it. <laughs> So he said, okay, well then just help me cast it. Because uh-huh. I wasn't really an actor at the time. Mm-hmm. So I did, I helped him cast it. And um, after I helped him cast it, um, he asked me to play a small role. And so he put me on camera for it, carried it back to his producers, and the producers was like, why can't Romney be Paul Rudd's brother? And I was like, Jesse, your first move, first love, last rights was not a success. Yeah. If you want to fail again, put me in your movie. <laughs> do not do this to your career i beg you yeah and um they insisted and we ended up doing that movie and it pretty much changed our careers
0: oh i don't was it a good movie it was a great movie
1: i mean it was like a really independent movie and it was aesthetically it was horrible cuz we this shot this was the paris thing it was the thing in paris yeah
0: and, and you and paul still friends oh yeah yeah
1: and we shot that for like 13 days yeah we shot it for 13 days and i just never left i was like i'm staying <laughs> peace (laughs) how long did you stay Uh, about six months Uh
0: uh-huh i had to come home yeah you know but um i just didn't want to leave so you made so by that point you're shifting out of the the boner pills
1: yep no 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 i'm going strong i'm going strong on boner pills at this point (laughs) boner pills is what's funding me in paris did they work Um yeah man. Yeah. Oh dude, well you know, it's so funny like it's so funny. Like I I've, I've been so blessed because growing up in West Indian culture, yeah. if you had a problem, there was a natural remedy for this thing. Yeah. And so this whole pharmaceutical culture was pretty foreign yeah. in my family. Uh-huh. And um you know, it's it, it, it it's like even to this day, uh-huh. if people tell me they have a problem with whatever, yeah. there's a natural solution uh-huh, to it, uh-huh, you know? Uh-huh. And you know, so even to this day, it was such a, everything that my dad cooked when I was a kid. Drink this. This is good. This this is good for the tool. Yeah, for the tool. <laughs> Eat this. This is good for the tool. Everything was good for the damn tool. So of course I started a fucking business that was good for the tool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what were the herbs? Um, um I'm just asking for a friend. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> now you know there's things like guarana and um. I got. I can dig that stuff up, and I can. I can promise you. I can point your guys in the right direction for the tool. For the tool, help for the tool. everything good for the tool, man. Take that. That good for the tool. <laughs> All that like good for the tool. I still ain't answered your damn question, but the, but the 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 point is. Sorry, the point is is that I um did this movie with Jesse Parrots, and the next thing you know, people were asking me to be in other movies.
0: And the, but but the big break that everyone knows you for, and which I, I you first sort of hit me was uh, as Jay in Forty Year Old Virgin.
1: Yeah, Judd Apatow. He asked me to be in his movie because he saw me in the Chateau.
0: Yeah, and that was a funny part. Yeah, I got and that. I, sort of defined you comedically. It did. It did. I
1: was like, uh, you know, I was new to the business. I was new to the. I didn't have a click. I didn't grow yeah. up and I, I didn't start acting until I was thirty. Yeah. So I was new to the whole game. I didn't yeah. have a click, and to be pulled in by Judd Apatow and like introduced to all these guys, and just do yourself yeah what would you say yeah i was like seriously <laughs> wait, wait. that's what you were doing I, I feel like the most common question in my life is yeah wait a minute i can say what i want Yeah, <laughs> 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 in everything i can be in an interview it can be i can be dating someone wait i can i can I just, just say what i want <laughs> i can be rapping i can say yeah. what i want yeah um and um judd you know judd was like really funny he had great jokes and like like i never forget it we were doing the first, with one of the earlier scenes where we're discovering that he's a virgin. Yeah. And, uh and I was saying, that's, you know, it's cool if you gay. Yeah. You know, I got friends that's gay. And Judd yells, in jail. Yeah. I lost my shit. I must've chipped my tooth on that <laughs> damn table. I lost my shit. Just to be around a guy who was so creative and fresh. Yeah. You know, four days into our production, the production got shut down by the studio because they thought, you know what? Uh, he, you've already shot in half the movie, and we haven't approved the look. Mm-hmm. But just the Judd was covering so much footage because we were playing so much. Right, right. You know, yeah. And he was so seasoned by yeah. that time. Yeah. And he was like, "No problem." Sent us all home. Came back Monday and went back to work. <laughs> <laughs> Judd was great. I guess
0: that's a, that's the 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 real skill of a great producer is just sort of like keep your cool mm-hmm. and I'm like, all right, we'll work this out.
1: Him and Shauna Roberts had no facial expression.
0: Oh really? Oh yeah. <laughs> so, okay, cool.
1: All right, cool. All right, guys. So see you on Monday. Yeah. No, we'll let you know. We'll let you know. <laughs> so you don't want me to come back tomorrow. We'll right. let you know. So
0: you do a few other roles, and then, then you do the love
1: guru. Yep. That, that That was a... You Look, if you look at every job that I've been involved in, 40 old virgin, baby mama, blades of glory, weeds. Yeah. I wanted to get next to the people that, that I was weed? Witnessing. That was great, right? It was incredible. Mary Louise Parker is my sensei. She would yeah. kick my ass, and I thank her at the end of every day.
0: What do you mean she'd kick your ass?
1: Um... She didn't. She didn't fuck around. You know. You were she, on that
0: for what? a Few seasons, right? Yeah. It's
1: Mary Louise Parker we'll punch you in the face.
0: She's a hell of an actress. She's
1: that. She was my sensei. Deep, deep, and like she really taught me. Well, first of all, my acting coach is who taught me. Yeah. Sandy Marshall flipped the script. Broke me down. I used to laugh by being be pews, laughing to people yeah. on stage, crying like yeah. these actor types. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never considered myself one of them yeah. until I ended up crying on that stage.
0: She was your boot camp. That oh. was your boot camp. It was my yeah, boot camp. Acted,
1: like, and from that point forward, I knew. I she knew made everybody. you
0: roll around in the puddle.
1: She, exactly, exactly. <laughs> she made it clear that everyone could see the through my facade. The emotional puddle. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, man. I was I time was, for you to meet you. I, exactly. That's what she did. <laughs> I'm like, this shit is therapy. Yeah. I didn't sign up for no damn therapy. Yeah. You know. But yeah, Sandy Marshall, she gave me free classes. She just made me stay after class one day. She's like, I'm going to tell you something. She goes, I think you're talented. And of all my students, I really believe that you could go somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you free classes because I don't think that people give you things very often. And all you have to do is show up. That's what I did. I showed up.
0: See, so you were a challenge. She was gonna break you she was gonna make you what you are.
1: Yeah, and she really did. She I, I never forget, man. I was like, "You're right." I was rolling around in my own puddle, my own tears. I was like, "Ain't this some shit?" You just you suddenly realize that everyone can see you. Yeah. They can see through your bullshit. They either, just yeah, tolerate you. That's right. Yeah. And
0: and the good friends they just they, they don't tell you they just talk, they keep tolerating you. But a lot of yeah. people are like, "I'm done with that."
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I didn't know that. But so they know the better part of you. Right. Exactly. But I'm was, I was so charming and entertaining. Yeah. That it was at it was really everyone's else entertainment at my expense, and I didn't realize that either.
0: Because you thought you were getting away with something.
1: Yes. And she just. Completely exposed me, and I was like, "Uh," and that from that point forward I actually began to take it more seriously. Take it but, seriously,
0: like when so- with something like the Love Guru, which was you know, I, I mean, notorious tank. Mm-hmm. Does that affect the, 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 your 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 jobs? Well, you know what? It, for me, it didn't because, yeah. in in fact, it got me jobs.
1: Yeah. But also, the shit that I learned from Mike Myers changed the game for me. How? What was that? Well, just everything. Like he taught me the I would things I did naturally. He yeah. suddenly made me aware of like, right. I didn't know what memes were. Right. And I didn't know that. I was creating memes in my career, as right. you know. You know, in 40 old version, I created all these memes. Right. I didn't know that shit. I didn't. It's underst- hard
0: to know until it becomes one. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's a rare person that does intentional memes. Right, but it was it, it was a year. It was years after the fact and right.
1: everywhere that I went with my mom, people were like, "Don't put the pussy on the pedestal," and yeah, you know, it, and right, you know, I didn't know that those were memes. Right. I didn't understand that they were that. I didn't know about color association. Right. so th- there's a color scheme, and you can create certain color schemes that people will automatically associate with your movies consciously or subconsciously. No fucking clue about that stuff. I had no idea. This dude, Mike Myers is so fucking deep and smart. Yeah. Seriously speaking, like, it was another situation, like being with Mary Louise Parker, where right. you were, where if you didn't sit and take note, let them slap you in the face, you are an asshole. Right. Because there was so much to learn.
0: And you learned a lot about comedy, a lot about marketing. Comedy. But you'd already sort of done your own marketing thing. I mean, you had an instinct for it.
1: I did, but he showed me how to systemize it. Like, he had a trailer, yeah, one trailer, with just a wall full of pictures and colors and, like, a wall. Yeah. But not a wall, the entire trailer. Yeah. It's like, if you didn't know it was his, you'd be like
0: oh shit, somebody's getting murdered. But it's weird because that movie didn't, you know, with all his memeing and colors.
1: Yeah, well, there there were a couple of things that happened. One of the things that happened was that, um, you know, there was a huge, there was a great script in the beginning. Yeah. And um, because of the fact that, how can I say this? there was so much pressure to deliver right that the, everything lost its essence right because people started micromanaging everything right and all the fun went out of it right um, another thing was i think that the director who is actually a good guy he just was inexperienced he got steamrolled over all oh, right and then lastly there was this huge smear campaign that occurred at the release of the movie where people started coming out and speaking out, being vocal about Mike Myers and speaking out against them, Right. Was like a four page spread in Newsweekly in,
0: in Newsweek. Why was that? I don't remember.
1: I think that what I, I think that, you know, supposedly there there was this history of bad blood between him and a few people that he had worked with. Uh huh. Um I really yeah. try to not yeah. stay <laughs> yeah. as far out of that shit yeah, as possible yeah. because for me, I got to work with a genius and it has I've never been an actor who's been like, "Oh, you have to strike when the iron's hot." Yeah. I don't believe in that. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, I I really have to do it my way, and it's probably to my demise. And then the other part of it is that I've gained so much uh, artistic integrity from being in the presence of people like him and Mary Louise Parker, you know, that it was worth every penny for me. I don't really care if a movie. I get everything I'm going to get out of the movie while we're making the
0: movie. That's it. Yeah,
1: that's it. I don't look and go, "Oh, our movie's going to do thirty million this weekend." That's not me.
0: But it did. It did. (laughs) (laughs) He had something to do with it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, it's true. I know. And Kevin's a great guy. Dude. You know, it's like, you know, I never, like I've had him in here and it's just like, the guy fought the fight, you know, came out on top. He's incredibly grateful. He's generous. Yep. You know, I mean, you know, about, it's gotta be about 80% of of his success because he's got a good heart and he does the right thing by people.
1: He really does. He does the right thing by people. I'm doing my own movie now. He signed on to play a role in it. Uh-huh. Like he just he's that dude. Yeah. He's like, "Man, I owe you rum. I got you. How many days do you need?" The busiest man in Hollywood. Yeah. Got to be one of the busiest comedians in Hollywood. Yeah. "I owe you. How many days do you need?" When he said that to me, it took me at least 4 minutes to respond cuz I couldn't Wait, you Wait, what what, what my movie? <laughs> my movie? You sure? Cuz hey, I was literally doing that for like 4 minutes. Yeah. You know? He is a generous guy, man.
0: What now? This is interesting because we talked a little earlier about you know the the movies you want to make. Now w- this is your movie. Now yes. we talked earlier about you know some of, some of the things that you want to give back mm-hmm. to the community. Absolutely. A- is this a, a, one of those projects? This is one of those projects where it's like you know, for me, um, the, the the situation is that um,
1: in the in the world of Hollywood, you, they tend to make you either or. Yeah. So um, you're either. Uh, this or you're that. So my experience growing, you're either an angel or the devil. Right. You're either a whore or a virgin. Very binary way of thinking. Sure. And so I have a problem with that because I've grown up with people who were heavily flawed with the best of intentions and gave the best advice they knew how. Yeah. And these people aren't depicted in film anymore. Yeah. You're either one or the other. The right. film that I grew up, films that I grew up watching, that was that. So if it, one of my favorite films of all time, ever since I was a kid, was When Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Sure. Now you can look at Jack's character on a lot of different levels. Yeah. You can look at him as crazy. You can look at him as rebellious and obnoxious. You can look at him as a hero. Yeah. You know what I mean? Leading the frontier or pi- pioneering the frontier. You can look at a lot of those characters a lot of different ways and I love that where you're actually engaging the gray area and I feel like in, with the dumbing down of a lot of film because of the fact that we're not even making film for, for we're making film for non-English speaking people Right. You, they have the you, if you go to France they have some of the most sophisticated films that you've ever seen Yeah. but if we're trying to make a movie that gets that you know that's accepted over there we gotta have explosions <laughs> and shit and exactly because yeah, 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 we yeah. don't know the intricacies and the idioms that's of their culture the
0: international market has made it broken it down to the lowest common
1: well, only because we're, we're, we're catering to, in my opinion, some of the most sophisticated films I've ever seen have been made in the international market. Uh-huh. My personal taste, sure, you know. Um, but at the same time, when we're raising all our money to make our movies, we're raising the money overseas. Ninety percent of it. Okay, I'm just I'm gonna just say this but for those who aren't aware. I'm just gonna make I, it's, I'm speaking the obvious here, but just for those who aren't aware, the way that it works these days is this. If a comedy costs more than $30 million, it's probably not getting made.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Anything else, if you're going to make a film, you're usually going to want to make it in the $100 million and up range, which is basically you're making four quadrant movies at that point where it appeals to the broadest audience possible. I think Michael Igor or something like that made that announcement when uh, uh, the proposal was so successful. They said we'd make another one. He was like, no. We're not making a follow-up. I don't care if it made $140 million because it's gonna cost us $70 million to make it. And by the time we spend that 70 million and we do the P and A budget, we're not gonna recoup on that. Mm-hmm. So if a comedy isn't under 30 million, we ain't making it. Mm-hmm. I think it was Michael he was the guy who said that shit, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So now everyone's jumping on that on that bandwagon to try to keep the comedies. But the thing is is that comedies like when you think of Woody Allen and whatnot, they were very specific to our culture. Right. And so uh that type of stuff these days doesn't translate as well overseas. Right. You know. So you're you know, making
0: it for a niche market, so you gotta keep it like at a million, two million. To,
1: exactly. So what happened with so what's happening with um with film these days is ninety percent of the money is being raised in, in foreign markets. Right. So we're here in America trying to make money, but but in order to get that money, you have to put people in your film that 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 that, that, that sell overseas. Right. So in order to do that, you now have to make a movie that appeals to that market. Yeah, and if you're an American making that movie and you're hoping to get some type of domestic gross, you're really kind of making a movie for non English speaking people, and as a result of that, you're going to go for the explosions. But okay, so so you've you've you've
0: you've put together money, yeah. that you got uh, domestic domestically, and and you've got Kevin Hart committed to it, yeah. and it's about it's a story of a flawed protagonist yes exactly and and yeah. uh and you hope that it'll speak to to who ultimately what i
1: want to do is it's I, a comedy i, I want to exactly it's a it's a dark comedy and you wrote it i wrote it myself been writing it for a while and what, what i want to do is i basically want to start reintroducing the idea of the gray area in a movie
0: yeah, no, I think you know, it, the 70s did that and then we kind of lost I mean, we, Cuckoo's is a good example of that, but yes. a lot of those movies where you have an anti-hero or, or, or someone you don't know how to feel about. Exactly. Because they don't have all the heroic attributes. Yes, Cable did
1: it so well with, yeah. with Breaking Bad and Damages. Oh my yeah. God, I didn't know if Glenn Close was the
0: good guy or the bad guy. Yeah, I, I, yeah. What, what is she doing? Even The Sopranos. The I mean, Sopranos, learned
1: to love that family. Thank you, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm working toward introducing that and just basically passing on a, a message in the movie which is about uh how many of us are actually out there asking people to make sacrifices for us that we're not willing to make for ourselves mm. and it's also about letting go mm-hmm. it's about letting go of the things and where are we in production are where are we in production on this we are in we are literally just closing up that we're closing up the are de- the deals right this second this week we will have closed the deals with our attached talent. That sounds great, man. It is. It is. It's a great opportunity for me because I don't know why, you know, I, I, you know, I think I was a lot angrier before in in my younger years, but I never really got the calls that I thought I would get. I never really got invited to play with a lot of these, you know, other movies that had, had occurred, I never really was, I, I didn't start being asked to be a lead until recently, like over the last year and a half. How old are you? Um, 45. And so, you know, and you I look was good, like,
0: though. You look, you look 35.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thank Trin- you, dude. You know? That's Trinidad. Oh, that's Trinidad. And you gotta <laughs> avoid sugar. Okay. Bread, rice, pasta, all that shit is sugar. I don't care what you say. If it creates an insulin spike, it's sugar.
0: And that's gonna make you old?
1: Yeah. Well, What happens is, is like, you know, your cells become resistant because oh. it doesn't want to be poisoned by the insulin. Yeah. And then, you know, it's called AGE. It's the process where that where all these remnants of sugar attach themselves to the to, you know to the your cells and, yeah. and, and you know the walls of your cells and then as a result of that you lose the elasticity in them and
0: oh, you boy.
1: know so I'm telling you I stopped eating sugar for for five years no more cake no more ice cream no no you know in moderation but okay. the thing is, is that what we don't realize is that we're living extreme yeah and then we want to go from extreme to moderate no no no. No, no, no! You got to go from one extreme to the next, yeah. and then you got to work your way back to moderate. All right. Well, tell me about
0: before we go. Tell me about Tijuana Jackson.
1: Oh, Tijuana Jackson. He's an ex-convict turned motivational speaker that I created, and you know, Mike Myers really helped influence that as well. I've been doing him for like thirteen years. Doing them where? Doing him? I just doing them for my friends, and oh, okay. then a few years ago, I put him on the internet, and that was all she wrote. Yeah. And um, you know, he's like he's this dude who is flawed again the gray area he's heavily flawed he'll be smoking a cigarette and preaching about health at the same time sure yeah and he's got these interesting quotes where he's like you know uh he's like life coach with a goon hand you know and he'll be like you know uh life 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 is like a vending machine you know what i'm saying it's full of change you know that type of shit he thinks he's, he's really proud of himself you know what i mean early bird early bird gets the worm early hall oh, get to eat both them bitches heard me <laughs> <laughs> so that's on youtube it's on youtube you look up tijuana jackson and if you are not entertained my name is not romany malco
0: it was um, great talking to you man
1: yeah you too man you thank you for good having about me. it I, yeah I, i'm a he- hey man i'm a big fan of i know you ran into and, you on the plane and i geeked the fuck yeah, out yeah you right? <laughs> oh, man, we're gonna do it <laughs> yeah i geeked out a little bit um you've had some great interviews on here man oh, thanks yeah. now so is your pop still alive uh, my dad passed away in 2008. And your mom? My mom is still alive. I just I just went to go see her. I just got back yesterday. I flew back for this interview.
0: Was your pop able to see some of your success? Or?
1: My dad was. My dad came with me to the premiere of A 40-Year-Old Virgin. <laughs> Funny shit. Funny shit. So my dad comes with me to the premiere of Forty Year Virgin. Yeah. You know Jerry Bednob. Yes. The guy who yeah. played the Indian guy. Sure, that I, I know. For him years, with? yeah. He looks at my dad, and my dad looks at him, and he, What are you fuck you doing here, boy? Turns out that they knew each other <laughs> from Trinidad. Trinidad? Get out of <laughs> here! Yeah, that was that was great. We had that's a great night. Out, that's hilarious. <laughs> my dad got him and my dad got shit faced that night. It was oh great.
0: well, yeah. that's sweet, man. Well, thanks for talking, and good luck with everything. I'm glad everything's going so well. Man, thank you very
1: much, man. Hit a boy up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever the fuck. <laughs>
0: great talk right was I lying was I lying I was not and uh, since I last talked to you my jeans are a little more broken in uh, I imagine that my junk is healing and uh, I'm sharing too much I'm sharing too much go to WTFpod.com for all you WTFpod needs check the schedule get that app for free upgrade to the premium you can stream all 400 episodes uh, I haven't seen Death Black Cat in a few days but I don't know maybe he'll check in everything's alright as I said, I am in Bloomington, Indiana tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday. And if you have any questions, uh, you know, let me know. Okay. Boomer lives.